Imagine you've received your calling in life. It's an idea you can't shake, a passion that is burning you up from the inside out, and you know, with your whole being, the world will be better because of this. What would you say you need in order to have this dream realized? Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode feels like it's going to be perfectly timed for those of us who need to know what it takes to push through. This conversation is with Jess Ekstrom, author of Chasing the Bright Side and founder of Headbands of Hope, a company who has donated over half a million headbands to children with cancer. But the beginnings were about as humble as it can get and full of show-stopping setbacks. Now, before we get into it, a little behind the scenes of this episode, Jess worked on her connection with me for about 27 minutes before we finally were able to record. Thank you so much for pushing through Jess and recording this. She was a delight to speak with and her story starts with launching a crazy idea that she fully believes in while still in college. I started a company called Headbands of Hope when I was in college. For every headband sold, we donate one to a child with cancer. And that was really the beginning of this crazy ride that I've been on for almost eight years now. Now I do a lot of public speaking, which is how we met. Um, I even started a course called Mic Drop Workshop for women to become paid keynote speakers. And then I just released uh, my first book called Chasing the Bright Side with HarperCollins. So all of that sounds super glamorous. Let me tell you, it was not, but that's kind of the nutshell. Well, when you kicked off your, your talk when you were up here, um, you talked about a Krispy Kreme challenge. So oh my goodness, yes. Maybe drop a little bit of that. Oh, so I made it on CNN back in the day when I completed something called the Krispy Kreme challenge. And it is when you eat a dozen glazed Krispy Kreme donuts and then you run five miles. So I'm this is really why you're having me on your podcast. Was it's, that's exactly you know? <laughs> why? I mean, the book and all that other stuff. That's just kind of like details, right? Right. You're like, this is the girl who ate twelve glazed Krispy Kreme donuts and then ran five miles. Well, you kicked off your talk with that, and immediately, um, myself and other folks from CCB that were were in attendance were drawn to you because we at CCB we pride ourselves on being um, approachable and and actually we, we like when people show their flaws, which. Yeah. Getting in, you know, jumping into it because I know we have limited time based on what we experienced at the very, very beginning before we started recording. Uh, I have listened to your book, Chasing the Bright Side. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I've recommended it to a lot of people, but what is Chasing the Bright Side all about and uh, who was it written for? So I love that you say that you like to celebrate people's flaws because that is one of the key components of chasing the bright side. Chasing the bright side is how we can not just believe in better, but go create it. Really use optimism, not as a mood, but more as a strategy for good. But a part of that Mm -hmm. process is just really owning the messy parts of your life and recognizing that, you know, just because you're doing something good doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but it does mean that it should be worth it. And so I try to be very transparent, whether that's through speaking or my book of all the messier parts, the times that I messed up, things that didn't go well. And um, because that was what I needed to hear when I was starting Headbands of Hope. I felt like I was just seeing everyone's LinkedIn profiles and 
everyone closing another, you know, million dollar round of funding and, oh, I'm on Oprah's favorite things list. And I'm like, why do I keep hitting all these walls and sharp corners Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing everyone else succeeding? And it wasn't until well into my business that I realized they're all hitting those same things too, just not talking about it or sharing them publicly. Right. Well, if if you had a superpower, in my opinion, uh, I would say it's optimism. And that is absolutely woven throughout your book. And well, actually, probably optimism and humor. Oh, thank you. Um, because, <laughs> because of how you how you portray yourself in the book, you do not take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Um, there are a ton of accolades when when you do a Google search of uh, of Jess Ekstrom. There's a ton of accolades and all that stuff. But you you really are um, not just transparent. Gets I guess overused, mm-hmm. but authentic. Oh, thank you. And uh, so. What is, in your opinion, what is optimism? Or may, or if it's easier, what is, isn't yeah. it, I guess? Oh, well, that's actually a really great way to pose the question because optimism is not a positivity pledge because I think that that's what we originally feel that it is, is this right. um, being happy all the time and staying in your happy place and just kind of this ignorance is bliss mentality. Optimism kind of gets a bad rap for being um maybe not totally with it. But really what optimism is at its core is we can see the bad, we can absorb it and still believe that there can be good. So really when we need optimism the most is when times aren't good. And I like Mm -hmm. to, you know, do this little exercise. If you think about any great movement that has happened, any great change, whether that's me too, or civil rights, or, you know, something that was really, uh, historic. None of those things began when times were good, but it was, it took Mm -hmm. someone or some optimistic movement to make it better. And so I think I, I, what I want chasing the bright side to be is really get out of our head. That optimism is about, you know, throwing confetti in the air and just, you know, skipping through a meadow with a flower crown on. It's really, uh, it's really, um, being able to, to face these, times of need, face things that, you know, aren't good and think about what can I do? What is my role here to make this better? Even if it's small. That's very helpful. It's encouraging to me too. Um, if you, as you're listening to this podcast, uh, audience, as you're listening to this, I was encouraged by listening to her book and reading her book and hearing her speak because of those small things that she just talked about, what it isn't, it's not confetti thrown up. It makes it more real, more attainable for folks like me that actually struggle with stuff. So um, in chapter two, I I took some notes. I'm going to throw a couple questions at you here from the book specifically. So in chapter two, you say this phrase that's pretty loaded and I'd I'd like to hear your take on it and kind of um, expand on a little bit. So you say in chapter two, we are not what happened, uh, what has happened to us. We are the story we write from it. So that chapter, um, is a pretty loaded chapter. I talk about, uh, something that I've been kind of had in the closet for a long time. It might, Mm-hmm. uncle, I still am not very good at talking about it, as you can tell. Uh, my uncle is Bernie Madoff, who is one of the biggest financial frauds in history. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, and it was something that I really tried to um, compartmentalize from my life for over 10 years. And just, I, I'm the girl who does headbands of hope. That's not me. You know, that's, I don't, I'm not associated yeah. with him. I tried, even my closest friends had no idea. My, um, 
my relationship to him. And it wasn't Mm. until I was, you know, writing this book that I'm like, if I'm going to write a book about optimism, I have to write really how I got there because it wasn't about this one day I was woke up and was inspired. It was about this one day where I felt like what, like which way is left, which way is right. I don't even know what's up or down when we got, you know, I turned on the news and saw my family members that I love on every channel. And so it took me a while to realize that like our experiences and our stories are two completely different things. So our experiences are these tangible things that happen to us. You know, maybe it's the weather, it's, you know, our neighbor's dog barking or whatever it is that are out of our control. But our stories are how we internalize and respond to our experiences. And so we could have this one single experience, but write a completely different story. And so that's really what happened, you know, in chapter two with, uh, Bernie Madoff being my uncle and doing this terrible thing, I could use that as Mm -hmm. the excuse as to why I want to do less, or that could be the reason as to why I want to do more. And that's all in our mindset of, of realizing that we are not what are, what has happened to us. We are the stories that we want to write from it. Um, so that was something tough to, to really own, uh, in the book, but I, I, like we go back to the beginning of this podcast, the authenticity. Um, I feel like it's my duty. I want to, uh, I want to be that voice of realness, uh, sometimes in all the filters and, uh, pretty pictures that we see. I'll tell tell you the the truth. I I was listening to that part Mm -hmm. of your book while I was loading the dishwasher at night after my kids went to Mm -hmm. bed and I stopped because I didn't that was like the furthest thing from my mind on what you were going to say next when you turned on the TV. So I cannot even imagine um, you being in your own shoes, Mm -hmm. seat, whatever, and seeing that, that on the, on the TV, but I appreciate uh, you sharing it. And, and you share a lot of very real stories. Uh, They're not all, you know, that hard hitting uh, to the family, but there are some really heavy stories in there, but they're also just, other kind of stories that you've twisted into to a humorous uh, sort of way to look back when you've stumbled along the mm-hmm. way. And I find that uh, refreshing as well. So to me, uh, as I said at the beginning, you know, failing is is near and dear to my heart. And sometimes it feels like it's my expertise yeah. <laughs> um, as I'm working to try and lead people. Um, so as refreshing as that was, I, I'm interested to hear um, maybe other stories of, of how failure has shaped your journey and how you view it. Mm-hmm. Um, how you've navigated failure along the way. Yeah. I, I, there's many stories that I could pull about failure. I think one of the bigger ones is when I actually got, um, I was starting headbands of hope and I needed uh, a loan for like the first round of production to buy all the materials and ended up getting a loan from my dad, who's also an entrepreneur. I then took that loan and wired that money paid in full for a round of production uh, for the, through these manufacturers who ended up being fraudulent and ran with the money. (laughs) And so when you think about failure, that one is pretty high up on the list. And I, um, it was one of the most like, just not just humiliating, but just, um, like who did I think I was? You know, I just started really this internal Mm -hmm. dialogue of like, um, imposter syndrome started just become louder and louder. 
so it was something that really was like this left or right for me. Do I want to just pretend like this never happened Mm -hmm. or do I want to figure out a way to make it work? And that's when I feel like optimism really comes into play because optimism is triggered by purpose. You know, it's something that we believe in so much that we're willing to just, you know, start at zero and figure it out. Or in my case, start at negative $10,000 and figure it out. And so I think that if we don't believe in what we're doing, we're not going to fight for it. And so that's, I think sometimes when I see businesses, you know, throwing the towel or ideas, it's really because it's not because it wasn't, um, it wasn't fire right out of the gate. It's because maybe there wasn't this connection enough to that end result. And so for me with headbands Mm -hmm. of hope and giving headbands to kids with cancer, I felt so connected to it that I was willing to just scramble a little bit and make mistakes to figure it out along the way. I ended up getting this, I think it was like $200 from, uh, my university, because I was still a college student, that they were giving to students that were starting businesses. And I bought these two headbands from some supplier in Bismarck, North Dakota, and uh, threw them up on my website, April 25th, 2012, these two headbands. And eventually, now we have over, I think, 200 products on the site, and I never took outside money again. And then I also, I mean, that's what taught me contracts and 30% deposits. And, you know, relationships and getting second opinions. And, and so it was this one huge experience that I had in the beginning, but I classify failures now as research. And that's what we do at Headbands of Hope as well. If something doesn't work, it's not a failure. It's research into like how we're going to make our next decision and how we're going to act differently. And so I think that a lot of where I am today is because of the mistakes that I've made along the way that have Mm -hmm. taught me, um, you know, what it takes and what to do, what to do next. And so just kind of that simple mindset of failures or research has been really helpful in that morale part of it too. So I'm, I play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm already a believer, so I'm showing my cards yeah. there, but in chapter 11, uh, you break down the importance of changing our internal dialogue. And I think that ties into some of what you were just saying, because you can go left or right. Which way is left? Well, my goodness, my world's upside down. Um, I'm interested, again, to take this a little bit further. Why is this so important? And what can we really do about it? Here's the devil's advocate part of it. Aren't we just wired a certain way, Jess? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And I, I don't, as far as the wiring I'm not sure, you know, if we're born a blank slate or, you know, nature versus nurture, but I do know that we do have the control to not just recognize the thoughts that are holding us back, but change them. And I think that one of the most important things that I realized with um, internal dialogue is that our thoughts a lot of times are born out of repetition, not truth. Something that we've heard Mm -hmm. so many times that we mistake it for truth when really it's just repetitive. It's like how advertising works. You know, you hear something over and over again and you're like, maybe I need to get this or maybe, you know, I need to watch this show. I've seen the preview 50,000 times. And that's a lot of how Mm -hmm. our thoughts work. And so if I can give one piece of advice when listening to your internal dialogue, maybe there's something that's holding you back that you're mistaking for truth, but really it's just repetitive. You know, for me, it was... um, I would tell myself I'm not a numbers person. You know, I'm really bad at math. Like I was in 
school, math never clicked for me. And so my whole life, I would walk into meetings with my financial advisors or, you know, numbers talks with headbands of hope. And I would come in with this mindset that I'm, this isn't my strength. You know, I'm not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. But then one day I had this shift. I was like, you know, as I was researching internal dialogue, I'm like, maybe, maybe this is just something I've thought my whole life. And maybe this isn't true because I am, I did start, you know, a million dollar company from scratch. I that has to mean something, you know, I have to have some sense of money. And so I really made that my focus to kind of get that, that repetitive belief out of my head and prove it wrong. So take that limiting belief, flip it into something positive, like I am good at money, and then find supporting facts that that approve that belief. And so that's something that um, is pretty easy and kind of fun to do to kind of prove yourself wrong, if you will. Not only do I appreciate that uh, you let me push back a little bit, I just, I also... Um... I need to hear that. And, you know, I think anybody that's that's listening to the podcast that considers themselves a leader, that whether it's positional leadership or maybe they don't have the title, but they have influence on a mm-hmm. team. We need to hear that because um, it doesn't necessarily matter what vertical we're in or what our title is. But all of us that have those types of moments where that internal dialogue, it just it catches um, it gets traction. And all of a sudden, you know, you look back over a couple of weeks and now your, your view of a thing can be changed. And it's so encouraging to hear that through your experience and your stumblings along the way and, and your rewiring of your your outlook on things, um, it it can be done. So thank you for doing that. Um, within that, uh, that same vein, I'm, I'm interested in the, in the practical side of this as well. So how do you approach your day? Mm. Like, could you take us through, uh, prepping and choosing to be optimistic? Like, is there anything that you do on a daily basis that we could tips and tricks, that kind of thing on a rewiring and uh, in that same vein as uh, of um, changing the internal dialogue on a daily basis? It's funny when you write a book, you know, it's, I, I'll be straight up honest in that I am writing about things that I've discovered, but I'm also not perfect at, you know, like I can talk all mm-hmm. day about the yeah you know, the framework of failure, but then at the same time, you know, I'll get rejected from, you know, this list or whatever. And it's still like, dang, that hurt, you know, but, and then you, so I'm not perfect at any of it. Um, and so I still am, am working really hard at, uh, at just myself and my mindset. I think the thing that I'm working hardest on now, um, is just enjoying the process of things. I think that for, uh, for so long, you know, you're just reaching of like, what am I going to do next? And what is that next achievement? And then you look back and realize you've done all these things. And it's almost like that movie click where you, you know, you fast forward to the good parts. And, um, so I've been catching myself doing that the past few years. And that's something that I'm trying to work on is really like enjoy the process of getting there. Um, and so one of the things that I do, I try to do every morning, I love writing, writing a book was like my, the happiest I've ever been, I think, because I had a disciplined writing practice every morning I would get up at five and I'd write for a few hours before the day began. And it, I've never felt so grounded in my life because it's like, you have a date with yourself before anyone else. And you don't Mm -hmm. realize how much you consume of other people's thoughts before you hear your own. Um, 
And so I think waking up every day and writing and like really listening to myself um, was such a game changer for me. And I'm not as disciplined as I should be now that I'm not on a manuscript deadline, but I hope to be soon. And so getting up and writing and not even having like a prompt, but just like starting my fingers with the keys, um, I realize it kind of tells me where my anxiety is lying that day. How can I unpack that? You know, um, how can I maybe prove a limiting belief that is false? And just like, what are the bare, minim- bare minimum that I need to get done today? And I just kind of put it all in, onto this sheet of paper. And it's almost like I'm releasing it from um, carrying it with me. Like, it's just there. Like, if I need to look back on it, I will. But I found that that's like a really good release for me in the morning because I do carry a lot of anxiety with me. And that's something that I've been trying to work on. That is so helpful and practical. Um, I, I've told people internally here uh, on my team and otherwise, and actually in my family as well, um, I I hate <laughs> when my alarm goes off mm-hmm. in the morning. Um, I I would prefer to sleep, but I've never regretted waking up early. Oh, yeah. Um, but I have regretted sleeping in. So exactly. the practice that you're talking about of reflection and journaling and releasing those thoughts and, and, and you know, the things that are already maybe nagging at you before the day actually gets started, releasing those things before you get into it. That's a practical thing. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that and opening up about that. Cause I, I wasn't sure where we were going to go with that. Um, but it's very helpful. Yeah. Create before you consume, I think is just a good um, rule. Even if it's just for 15 minutes, like what can you mm-hmm. create with yourself before you consume from others. And it's getting harder and harder to do that because you flip over your alarm and it's on your phone and you hit it off and you're like, Oh, what's, you know, what's Twitter saying to like, and so there's consumption everywhere we look, um, which is great. You know, there's so much access to information, but sometimes, um, Mm -hmm. we, the noise is so loud that we forget to, to hear ourselves first. So, um, that's something I've been, I've been working on that I hope is helpful for other people. So good. So the last thing that I wanted to do that I thought would be fun, uh, we can edit this out <laughs> if it doesn't go well, but in the book, uh, you talk about taking improv oh classes my gosh, yeah. and that's intriguing enough in and of itself. So I thought to close this out, we would do a little improv right now. I would love um, it. But here's the scene. Okay. So here's the scene. Uh, I don't have a huge bank account, but I do have a desire to make the world a better place. So what I understand, I haven't taken improv classes yeah. before, but what I be, what I understand at least about the, some of the rules of improv, uh, yes and, mm-hmm. you know, using the yes and. So I think it'd be cool to, for us to bounce back and forth, maybe saying one thing that can be done to spread kindness and optimism and make the world a better place. You say whatever, I say yes, yes and this thing, and then we just keep going back and forth for like you know forty five seconds it. or until this is a let's train wreck. do it. Okay, I'll start. <laughs> So yes, you can make the world a better place and you can start with something small right in front of you. I love that. And you know what? I think that when you're in line at a grocery store, just letting somebody else go in front of you could be a great way to brighten their day and spread a little optimism without spending the money to pay for their groceries. Yes. Like just the small things and just even this, the smiling interactions on the street, like you just get that hit of dopamine when a stranger's like, you have a good day. You know, it just the little things that can make people's days a little brighter. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and 
Who likes waking up in the morning? Nobody except for Jess Extremto. <laughs> I didn't say I liked it. I, I do it. <laughs> I put that in your mouth. Sorry about this. Yes. And in saying good morning, not even just a hello, but sometimes in the morning when there's a cup of coffee, that's a good shot of caffeine. But the shot of dopamine saying good morning. Yes. I think that's a great way. Yes. Saying good morning and just having a little time to yourself before you open up yourself to the rest of the world, before you open up your inbox, before you open up anything, get kind of almost like a, uh, I call it like a chiropractor. You just get aligned. Like, what am I going to do today? And just taking that time for yourself is always helpful. And the last one that I've got, yes, I think that is absolutely true. I don't have any of this written down, but I do think, yes, get aligned and pick up chasing the bright oh, side because you will fill yourself <laughs> full of optimism and humor. I promise you. Is, I don't have any of that stuff written down. That was not I mean, when are we going on tour? You know, I think that we should, I think we'll sell out. <laughs> Let me know what your schedule is looking like because I'll clear mine and we'll make it happen. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Steve. This has been awesome. Thanks a lot for being here, Jess. Well, there was a ton of content in that 20 minutes or so with Jess. Are you kidding? $10,000 in fraud? Bernie stinking Madoff is her uncle. What in the world? I read the book, listened to the book, and still was like choking back uh, as, as she's telling the story because I don't want to interrupt her. You've got to pick up her book. And if you get a chance to hear her speak, jump on that as well. She is funny, engaging, and uh, most of all, authentic throughout. More info on connecting with Jess is in the show notes below. Here's my takeaway and action item takeaway. Optimism is not a positivity pledge. It's seeing the bad and linking the thing that is worth it back to the hard situation. Optimism is triggered by purpose. My action item. I need to check my internal dialogue in the morning. What am I feeding myself? And am I taking the opportunity to feed myself before I'm force fed by whatever the world has for me? I need to make sure that I'm doing that. The last thing I've got for you is an invitation to our tech showcase on May 13th at Miller Park in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're going to have 20 different breakout sessions, two different tracks. One track for the breakout sessions is for IT pros and one is for business leaders. Our two keynote speakers are going to bring it also. Josh Linkner is the founder and CEO of five different tech companies and will we'll be speaking on hacking innovation the new growth model from the sinister world of hackers. So a new spin on all this hacker stuff and what we can actually learn and how it pushes us forward uh, as thought leaders. And if you're more of a sports person, we've got you covered there as well. Barry Alvarez, the athletic director for the University of Wisconsin-Madison, has the longest head coaching tenure and the most wins in Wisconsin Badgers football history. He'll be speaking on overcoming adversity and other lessons learned during his legendary career with the Badgers. To join us, you can go to ccbtechnology.com slash tech showcase and sign up. Well, if you found value in this episode, I would ask that you take an extra couple of steps, subscribe to the podcast, and then review in whatever platform you're listening to this on. If you'd like to connect with us, you can shoot us an email at impactpodcast at ccbtechnology.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, just search Steve Shear and send me an invitation to connect and uh, maybe a suggestion on what I can do to help improve the podcast. And as always, from all of us here at CCB Technology, 
Thanks for listening.